Reading, short and deep. Hi, I'm Jesse. And I'm Eric. And today we're reading short and deep, Detective Stories Gone Wrong, The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes by Luke Sharp, a.k.a. Robert Barr. Uh, this is first published in the Idler magazine, May 1892, which Barr was the editor for. And uh, it was later published in a collection um, uh, under Barr's name and also republished as the Pegram Mystery. But um, Detective Stories Gone Wrong tells you a lot more about <laughs> what you're about to get uh, than... Uh, than um, the Pegram mystery, which just sounds like a uh, another Sherlock Holmes story. Now, I, I want to give the readers uh, or the listeners of this podcast the spelling on Sherlock Holmes because it's not what you think. It's S H E R L A W Sherlock, and then Combs K O M B S. And uh, Sherlock Sherlock Holmes has a friend who is Doctor Watson. <laughs> Um, yep. So, this is uh, I want to say. And spell a, his name for us, Jesse. Uh, w a t uh, w h a t s o n, I believe. Yes. Watson. And um, what what I uh, oh I will also note that um, it has illustrations very reminiscent of those uh, found in the Strand for um, the original Conan Doyle illustrations. These ones are. Very similar, although along with the rest of the story, kind of uh, um, maximalizing the parody that's happening. And it is a parody, right? That's what this story is? Uh, It's at least a parody. Yeah, it's not a satire. It's, it's, no, no, no. Oh, it's yes. It's not a pastiche, which some people claim. I, I think they don't know what a pastiche is. This is a parody. This is taking the Sherlock Holmes conventions and stories and literally having fun with them rather than, you know, he's not trying to make a political point, I don't think. Um, he's, he's not trying to uh, continue the adventures without uh, paying royalties or anything. Like uh, August Derelith wrote a series of stories that are just Sherlock Holmes styles short stories called uh, The Adventures of the Solar Ponds. And Solar Ponds is, you know, he just changed the name to Sherlock Holmes. Everything's the same. You know, his address isn't 221 Baker Street or 221B Baker Street, but something like that. And so you could just swap in every other, you know, word and it would just be uh, more Adventures of Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson. Here we've got Sherlock Holmes, and Dr. Watson, and they they have a, a, a an adventure so typical that uh, I think there's something really funny that most people haven't noticed about this particular adventure. I want to talk about that after, but would you be able to summarize it in a quick way? <laughs> I'll give it a try. Um, I like the idea of parody. I always remember when I say that word, it's etymology. The par in parody is like the par in parallel. Mm -hmm. It means it goes alongside. And the ode 
is a Greek word which in English means a song, so it could work for a narrative. Um, but in Greek, it also actually means a way. So inode is, is, is one way. Exodus is the way out. Um, so a parody is a song alongside the song. So in our, in our minds, as we read this, we should be thinking of a typical Sherlock Holmes story, not Sherlock Holmes, but Sherlock Holmes story. Um, and I think I think you're absolutely right. It's a parody. But the point of parody is not just to see if we can follow on parallel tracks, railroad being very important in this story, but have some fun with it. I do think that satire is going on in this parody. Yeah. It's a story um, that opens up, as many Holmes stories do, with the narrator, who is Watson, um, saying he stopped to see his friend. The friend was doing such and such. The friend, that is Sherlock Holmes, gives some extraordinary demonstrations of observational deduction, um, that is, deductions from extraordinary observations. Um, Watson is astounded. Um, he is he puts Holmes puts his feet up on the mantle, rather odd posture. And it turns out that by looking at the mirror above the mantle, he can see out to the street outside. And therefore, it turns out is able to anticipate that someone will come visit. And he understands all of what this person is, who he is and why he's there and so on. Watson had said, I'd like to know what you think, Holmes, about the uh, the Pegram mystery. And Holmes says he doesn't know anything about it, even though all of London has been speaking of it. It is a crucial fact of the Sherlock Holmes stories that, as it's said here in this parody, uh, Sherlock has an extraordinary grasp of all sorts of minute facts that nobody else had ever thought of keeping in his head. But, as he says famously, in order to have the place for them, he entirely ignores all sorts of other things. Now, how it is that Holmes is able to know which sorts of facts he needs to keep and which he doesn't is, to me, one of the great delights and weaknesses of Conan Doyle's own stories. And that explanation for how he has this knowledge is, in fact, given in A Study in Scarlet. Um, which is mentioned by the author and says, with apologies to Dr. Conan Doyle and his excellent book, A Study in Scarlet, right. which came out in 1887 and was enormously popular and began the, the whole craze for Sherlock Holmes. So in comes this fellow. Turns out the fellow is a reporter. He asks about the Pigram mystery. And Holmes then says, OK, I'll give you the answer, you know, by tomorrow morning. And the fellow is expecting it to take a month. But in fact, um, Holmes then says to Watson, let's go take a trip on the, the train where this particular um, problem, this this murder was supposed to have had happened. I want to test my theory. Um, so what? You know the theory? Yes, I recorded, I've already solved the problem, solved the case, but I just want to double check. And they go through an elaborate series of impossibilities being made possible. You know, a train that doesn't stop at a particular place turns out to have stopped in order to allow some other train to go by. Now, all sorts of impossibilities become possibilities. And Holmes is able to say, aha, this is how the case happened. And the fellow was, uh, he killed himself and the gun was at a certain place. And they walk back and they find, in fact, the gun. Ta-da! I mean, just one crazy deduction after another. Holmes, 
succeeds. But then at the end, it turns out that Scotland Yard, for whom we know that Combs has an enormous antipathy, he does not value them at all. Um, Scotland Yard examines the gun and finds out that it was never owned by this person, couldn't have committed suicide with it. uh, But in fact, it was sold to someone else. And it turns out that the fellow is a murderer, murders the guy, and they come up with an alternative and much easier theory, um, much less convoluted and therefore much less a demonstration of extraordinary deduction. And so they wind up convict that guy winds up getting convicted and hanged for a murder rather than nobody being hanged for suicide. Um, but the last line then is uh, the Queens, that is to say the, the governments, it's Queen Victoria's Scotland Yard, the Queen's evidence dodge didn't work. That is the fact that they tried to slip in some other explanation by using mere evidence. Oh, I, I, I can clarify that a bit. Uh, that's something we have up here as well. Um, so, uh, Sorry for breaking in. Do you want me to do that now? No, I'll, I'll be done in just a sec. Sure. The Queen's evidence dodge didn't work, and Scotland Yard ignobly insulted my friend Sherlock Holmes by sending him a pass to see the villain villains hanged. In other words, as much as Holmes disdains Scotland Yard... Scotland Yard is happy to thumb its nose at Combs, but Watson still persists in believing that Combs was right and Scotland Yard was wrong. So we get to decide for ourselves. And I think what we wind up deciding is, in fact, (laughs) Combs is wrong again and again and again. Sometimes he's right. But the fact that he's sometimes right gives him hubris that is intolerable. So this becomes then a critique of Conan Doyle, or at least of his character and of the sycophantic symbiotic relationship between Combs and between Holmes and Watson in the persons of Combs and Watson. Yeah. Um, This is a a very good story at pointing out problems with the sh- what's wrong with the Sherlock Holmes stories? I mean, I love them. I've read them. I think I've read all of the originals at some point. I I haven't read all the novels, but I've read at least uh, I think there's four. I think I've read at three. Uh, so uh, I'm I'm very much an admirer of them, but I also know that uh, Conan Doyle, although brilliant in many ways, was also quite stupid <laughs> in other ways. <laughs> And uh, I, I, uh, uh, I just want to clarify what that thing at the end there is, the Queen's Evidence Dodge. So that uh, we, we have up here um, a queen. You guys have uh, no queen, but you have the state. So state's evidence, you, you would be familiar with, you know, turn state's evidence. That, that is, you, you're a witness to the crime uh, and you get a reduced sentence for that. So that's what the, that I think is what's going on there. Where he says um, they they tried to uh, he was arrested and turned Queen's evidence in the hopes of of hanging his pal. So there's there's two murderers who killed uh, the uh, what's the guy's name who, who died? Kipson, I think. Kipson, right? That actually the names in here are pretty funny. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry. Why do you think then that it says it didn't work? Oh, it, it says at the end it didn't work. Uh, the Queen's Evident Dodge didn't work, and Scotland Art ignobly 
insulted my friend Sherlock Holmes by sending him a pass to see the villains hanged. Both of them were... Uh, oh, I see. You're suggesting by the fellow turned Queen's evidence so as to avoid being hanged, but right. it didn't work, so he got hanged anyway, since it's plural villains who got hanged. Right, right. So one, one of them turned on the other and informed, uh, and said, no, he did it. I, I was there. I saw it. Right, and... And then they said, but you, it seems like you assisted in the crime, so you're both murderers, right? Ah, well, that, that means that, that uh, Watson is not as uh, monomaniacally attached to Combs's rightness as, I, as my reading of the story. Interesting. Yeah, you're it, probably right. It's, it, it, it's, I think that the, this coda is actually... Th- Arguably the most interesting as a as a critique of uh, is that what it's called a coda? Uh, yeah. Yeah. There's a some stars or something, and then he solves the crime, and then we find out what actually happens, right? Uh, the police trace the gun, and they find out that that um, <laughs> that that the events as happened as we've been had them described to us by Sherlock Holmes and Doctor Watson. Um, are not what happened. They they line up in that Holmes was able to say where the gun was, um, and to say that the guy died in the car. But he also is wrong about everything else, right? It, it's 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 kind of a massive coincidence. And um, one of the one of the things that I think one of my uncles pointed out to me about Sherlock Holmes, and then I I studied this stuff in university later on, is is that everybody calls what Sherlock Holmes does deduction including conan doyle that's what he calls it but it's not deduction it's almost never deduction it's always induction which is probabilities not uh you know rational math he isn't (laughs) he isn't doing like um six minus four is two he's saying uh four um we're thinking it's six and therefore two but i'm gonna have to test out my theory and that's why he does all this testing it's it's more like science um and not like math but people get the two current terms uh confused deduction and detective seem to go together in they both start with d's but really they're not the same thing and so even though he he can find where the gun was using his quote-unquote deduction Actually, uh, that's not why he found the gun, right? He found the gun not through deduction, but by be, being accidentally right. So this is why in math class, they always ask you to show your work, you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, if if, if the, uh, they use Sherlock Holmes' evidence to convict nobody of the crime, which is what he says, right? Uh, the only person who should be punished is, uh, what's his name, Kipson, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> What in fact actually happened is two murderers would have gotten away, right? Absolutely. But even though, and I appreciate your you're giving me a much a refined and and alternative, and I think yours is correct reading of the very last sentence. The coda has a long paragraph before it, and it still does show that same kind of utter attachment that Watson has for Combs. Absolutely. Uh, it begins. Journalistic London will not soon forget the sensation that was caused by the record of the investigations of Sherlock Holmes as printed at length in the next day's Evening Blade. That is to say, Holmes gives his explanation to the reporter who asked him to figure it out, and it gets published. Alas, 
Combs contemptuously turned over the, excuse me, he says, would that my story ended here. Right? He wishes that were the end of the story, Watson does. Alas, Combs contemptuously turned over the pistol to Scotland Yard. And then the meddlesome officials, actuated by jealousy, as I always hold, found the name of the seller, and so on, so on and so forth. In other words, Combs's perfect record of what you rightly call induction, but it gets called deduction, his perfect record of deduction would have stayed perfect if it weren't for the fact that he had to show his con- contempt for Scotland Yard and those people, always jealous of Combs, went ahead and foolishly found the truth, <laughs> you know, as if the truth is not the issue here. What's important is maintaining Combs's reputation. Yeah. Um, again, we have a story, as is so often the case with, with detective stories, where the thing that needs detection is not really the question. What's really the question is how nifty is the detection? Mm-hmm. And this is a parody of Holmes being a detective. Combs, in fact, detects wrong. I want to I want to read the first page because uh, I think it. I was reading this with a student and I was doing so much work to try and get him up to speed on Sherlock Holmes. I, I decided not to continue reading it just because <laughs> you have to know Sherlock Holmes backwards and forward to see how funny this is, and you also have to know like certain facts. Um, but I want to read the first page and just a little bit into the second page because it's it is really funny stuff. Listen to this. I dropped in on my friend Sherlock Holmes to hear what he had to say about the Pegram mystery, as it had come to be called in the newspapers. Okay, that's could be straight from Conan Doyle there, right? That's perfectly exactly like what Conan Doyle would have written. I found him playing the violin with a look of sweet peace and serenity on his face. Again, exactly what Sherlock Holmes' stories do, right? Which I never noticed on the countenances of those within hearing distance. Now we're getting into the jokes. <laughs> so yes. he's got a, a look of serenity on his face. Anyone nearby is like, oh my God, <laughs> that is not music. I knew this expression of seraphic calm indicated that Combs had been deeply annoyed <laughs> about something. Such indeed proved to be the case for when the morning papers had contained an article eulogizing the alertness and general competence of the of Scotland Yard, so great was Sherlock Holmes' contempt for Scotland Yard that he would never visit Scotland during his vacations, nor would he ever admit that a Scotchman was fit for anything but export. So I, I it was at this point I'm like, uh, this this is a joke, and the reason to my student this is a joke. The reason it's a joke is because Scotland Yard is not in Scotland. It has nothing to do with Scotland. It's just another word for the police in in London, right? And and the police in the UK in general. <laughs> and I'm like, this is such a parody of Sherlock Sherlock Holmes. It's like listening to Weird Al play, you know, uh, Michael Jackson song. He, he is parodizing a very particular song, and he's doing it so accurately that if you are a lover of that song, you will really enjoy this joke version of the song. And that's why it is parody, I think, rather than anything else uh you know it's not pastiche although it is so close to it in that it it's so well done that Barr could have certainly taken over i think if he had toned the jokes <laughs> down i want to continue I would, oh sorry go for it i, I just want to point out that in, 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 in 
it is a joke, absolutely. But it also, uh, what we understand from having read the whole of the story, is the beginning of a really, really well told story. That is to say, it's Scotland Yard for whom Holmes has contempt. He would not go to Scotland even on vacation, <laughs> but it is in fact the Scotch, the Scotland Express on which the murder happens, and it's his misjudgment about this murder as a suicide that causes him to be publicly seen as not a perfect detective. So the Scotland thing and the contempt thing are both crucial to the story, yes. both to the plot and to the, the, the psychology of the main characters. I want to keep reading here because there's some really good jokes. He yes. he, he, general, he generously put away his violin. <laughs> For he had the sincere liking for me and greeted me with his usual kindness. Oh, thank you for putting that violin away. <laughs> I, I have come, I began, plunging at once into the matter on my mind, to hear what you think of the great Pegram mystery. I haven't heard of it, he said quietly, just as, a, as if all London were not talking about that very thing. Combs was curiously ignorant on some subjects and abnormally learned on others. I found, for instance, that political discussion with him was impossible because he did not know who Salisbury and Gladstone were. Now, that is a joke that will probably pass over most people today, but those are like the most famous politicians of the period, right? That's like not knowing who Trump is um, and not knowing who uh, McCain is, right? Right, and they are, in fact, opposing parties right. as well. right. Uh, and and they're backwards and forwards in trying to get, you know, government. Um, this made, uh, and this, this is another great joke, this made his friendship a great boon. <laughs> he doesn't know anything about politics. It's wonderful. <laughs> Go over and talk to him. The Pegram mystery has baffled even Gregory of Scotland Yard. I can well believe it, said my friend calmly. Perpetual motion or squaring the circle would baffle G Gregory. He is an infant, is Gregory. Now, again, if you don't know anything about what perpetual motion is or squaring the circle, you won't get this joke. But those are two impossible things. And apparently Sherlock Holmes has solved them. <laughs> and he thinks everyone <laughs> right. knows them, right? Right. <laughs> that is good stuff. And it's then, a terrific beginning. Yeah, and, and then it continues with this Watson sort of, as you say, he's abnormally loyal to 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 his homes, but he's also he's also uh, an unreliable narrator, right? Uh, this was one of the things I always liked about Combs. There was no professional jealousy in him, such as characterizes <laughs> so many other men. <laughs> and then he throws his feet up on the uh, uh, on the. Uh, mantelpiece and you know uh, which is stuff that you see in Sherlock Holmes but not quite to that degree um, and then later on he when uh, the reporter comes he, th he almost shoots him right and Watson says that'll spoil the carpet um, so this is a very very well done co comedy with love uh, for Sherlock Holmes one of my favorite um Sherlock Holmes movies is uh, uh, called Without a Clue uh, with uh, Michael Caine playing Sherlock Holmes and um, the guy who played uh, Gandhi uh, as Watson. can't remember his name. Ben Kingsley. Ben Kingsley, right. And it's, it's, it says Sherlock Holmes is this great detective, but actually he's, he's just an actor hired by Kingsley who 
know, and it's a it's a great comedy piece because they play with all the the tropes that are created through this. Um, now, what I think is so amazing about this story that no one else seems to have clued onto is, uh, and maybe that's just because they're not. Uh, as big a fan as I am, I don't know that that can't be right. I am a big fan, but maybe they don't. They haven't read this story, and I, I was surprised that this existed. The plot of this story, not the one that the the actual thing that we find out at the end, but the one proposed by Sherlock Holmes, um, is later used by Conan Doyle as an actual plot. <laughs> it's slightly changed. It's a 1922 story called. The problem of Thor Bridge, and in it, a uh, person uh, wants to uh, make make it look like he was murdered by a relative. Some money went missing, and uh, he was shot on a bridge. And when Sherlock Holmes investigates, he finds a nick in the rail on the bridge, and he plumbs the waters and finds the gun attached outside. and and as Sherlock Holmes uh, in this story uh, suggests of what 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 caused the motivation is he would have taken that money and sent it either to a friend or to an enemy, right? <laughs> the friend to give him the money because he's going to kill himself and the enemy to implicate the enemy, either one. Right. And it turns out that neither is the case, but that that is essentially the the plot. Now, I don't, I don't know that Conan Doyle would have remembered this when he was, he wrote so many Sherlock Holmes stories. But it, it, it it's so funny because even if he, if he never read this story, you can see how these things are generated. This is why people love these stories so much: is they're setting up problems to be n- knocked down, right? It's like building your, your house of. Uh, I was going to say House of Dominoes, but you're setting up the dominoes so that you can knock them down. That's the whole fun of it, of writing them and of reading them, figuring out how it was all set up and then seeing them knocked down. And that is not really how detective story, detectives work in the real world, right? They don't set up the story. <laughs> um, but I think that this does such a good job of paradizing um, Sherlock Holmes and then undercutting uh the actual problem with you know the police are not as incompetent as Sherlock Holmes is always saying they are and uh, right. at, at, this is a very well done story and it's it a is. light piece of entertainment too it, 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 I find it very entertaining I'm a little I'm not I'm not quite sure how light it is um because what I find myself, I find myself most appreciating, is the voice, the the way yeah. that you know, every there's contempt. You know th- that line you said, "Don't kill him," you know, "Don't shoot him," you'll spoil the carpet. You know the the, the voice, particularly the voice of the narrator. Although sometimes we get the, the narrator reporting Combs's own voice. The voice of the narrator here is, in many ways, delightful. Yes, but. Makes me wonder about the relationship between the two. Um, toward the end, after when, when Combs is explaining what's gone on here, um, what's important is it becomes important to know that in Combs's theory that Kipson was depressed because he had had the flu and now he's recovering. And he says, "Now this is Holmes, yeah. right? Sorry, Combs saying to Watson, who is a physician." Yep. 
Uh, and so was Conan Doyle. Now, let me give you, Watson, let me give you some information about the influenza. The patient's temperature rises several degrees above normal and he has a fever. When the malady has run its course, the temperature falls to three quarters of a degree below normal. These facts are unknown to you, I imagine, because you are a doctor. <laughs> and then Watson says, I admitted such was the case. Yes. <laughs> oh, holy mackerel. I mean, every profession that gets named here, politicians, detectives, doctors, railway inspectors, journalists, every profession that gets mentioned is mentioned for ridicule. Yes. And Watson even accepts the ridicule of his own profession, which makes me kind of ask, you know, what is the relationship between these two guys, you know? <laughs> And for those of us who have read the study in Scarlet, we will remember that they met, Watson and Holmes meet, when Watson answers an ad for a roommate um, who turns out to be Sherlock Holmes. They meet in a laboratory where Holmes is conducting medical experiments, not, and Watson thinks he wants to be a medical student, but no, 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 no. Holmes wants to gain this knowledge because he's he's working himself up to be a detective. So that crazy symbiotic relationship where Holmes's knowledge is considered better than Watson's, even though Watson is the doctor, that's captured here, too, mm -hmm. and parodied by having Watson abnegate himself. Um, it sort of calls into question the whole way in which all of the Conan Doyle stories are narrated. So in that sense, I think at least there is something it's not just a, a light entertainment. I think it's asking us to reconsider what it is we think we're enjoying mm -hmm. when we read those Sherlock Holmes stories. I guess certainly when the two of us bite into something, there is always more to say. And remember. You can always freely access the materials discussed on these podcasts by going to sffaudio.com and clicking on the link for Reading Short and Deep.